Hey guys, welcome back to the 17X podcast series where we chat with amazing business owners, entrepreneurs and visionaries on how they're using their business as a force for good in the world. We're aligned with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the 17 global goals that we must achieve for the 2030 agenda as set out by the United Nations in 2015. If you love what you hear on this podcast, you'll be truly inspired by our 17X Turing speaking event that's coming to 12 different events in 2020 across all capital cities in Australia. Jump over to our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word, to find out when we're coming to your city and who we're bringing with us. But for now, thanks so much for tuning in and be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening so you're up to date with our future interviews. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today's conversation is with Heather Yellen down in Victoria. Now, Heather is a leading authority in values-based leadership and is a respected thought leader in the international area of consulting, business and corporate innovation and coaching. Having worked with such iconic brands as Macquarie Group, Mars, Nestle and Westpac to name a few, she's also spent time working with New Zealand's largest NGO, and major departments of the New Zealand government and over 30,000 individuals worldwide. Heather specializes in growing people. On top of an epic resume of speaking and consulting, Heather is also the founder and director of the highly acclaimed Green Supercamp Australia program, offering personal leadership, academic acceleration and environmental awareness to children aged 10 to 18 years. Heather and her team are also very keen supporters and fellow alumni with me of the Buy One Give One movement, the philanthropic business movement that is bringing business for good across the globe. So sit back and enjoy this chat. Make sure you take some notes. I really enjoyed this conversation and thanks again for listening. Okay, welcome back to the podcast, the first episode of 2020 and today we are having a great chat with Heather Yellen. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you, Mick. Absolute pleasure to be here. Cool. So um, I always start a podcast with one like mini icebreaker question that is, what's been the highlight of your year so far? Now, we're only 29 days into the year, so um, feel free to perhaps give us your highlight of 2019, unless you've had something groundbreaking happen in the last 29 days. Oh, no, no. Happy to give you my highlight for 2020. 2020 yeah, is shaping up to be a, be a particularly good year. Um, we have some uh, partnership because of one of the programs that no doubt we'll talk about um, with um, some people in the Netherlands. Um, and we're looking to support them to implement um, one of the programs that we run into their entrepreneurial training in the Netherlands. Wow. So that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty cool thing to kick off 2020. Awesome. Uh, that would probably be the highlight so far in uh, 29 days of the next decade. Yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty uh, productive and successful 29 days. Considering you've probably <laughs> that's had a the first few weeks 29. off. <laughs> um, have you been over there <laughs> before? Have you travelled to the Netherlands? No, no, I haven't actually. In fact, uh, all the negotiation to this point has been done um, with them coming to us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the time when uh, we can return the favour and head over there and see Oh, them. yeah. It's one of my favourite countries yeah. in the world that I've, I've been to. So. Really? Yeah, epic, epic place. Um, awesome. Yeah, Amsterdam is a city, uh, apart from all the what it's famous for with, you know, the drug, sex and rock and roll, 
Um, as a city, I just think it's such a fabulous and beautiful place and, you know, you can get around on a bike everywhere, all that kind of romantic stuff, but very much mm, that, that, mm. there's alfresco dining on the canals all over the place. Like, you absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I did actually go there about 20... Oh, right, okay. It should be 20, 25 years ago now, but yeah. never been there for, um, for, for business purposes. But they're doing some incredibly innovative things. Like they really are. Yeah. Um, I mean, in so many ways with their education system, with their, their, their sort of the tertiary aspect of their education and, yeah, some great things happening. So it's a, it's a, really, um, a really cool thing to uh, be a part of. And, um, yeah, we feel pretty grateful to have the opportunity to, head over there and add value to what they're already doing so well. Yeah, awesome. It'd be great to, to keep an eye on what you're doing there. We'll stay tuned. Um, so before we get into the Elevation Code, can you tell us a bit about your origin story? Who are you? Where have you come from? What have you done before you've got to where you are now? Oh, wow. That, that could be a really long story. <laughs> um, I'll give you the abridged version, Mick. Um, uh, grew up in the country, uh, incredibly grateful to have had that uh, experience um, with um, a, farming, a farming family. Um, I actually grew up on a Hereford stud, so um, life was fairly interesting in that, um, you know, we were very much steeped in the importance of being connected to our environment and the importance and power of community and those sorts of things. Um, but also, you know, had to, had to face some pretty decent challenges. I remember as a child, six, I think it was, consecutive years of drought um, and every dollar uh, that, that of income that was generated um, going to support the animals. So there were some lean times there as well. And I think those things are, um, you know, they're tough when you're a kid, um, but I think that they're incredibly powerful in terms of forming the way you think about the world. Um, and I think as a result of that, I probably have a, um, a, a level of resilience that maybe would not have been afforded me had I not had those uh, challenging yeah, sure. times as a kid. The country kid um, resilience. <laughs> that's right. Yes, the country kid resilience indeed. I think that um, my, my journey, Mick, has been sort of fashioned by a series of fantastic jobs, but where I soon came to realise that unless you gave me a pretty broad um, and preferably blank canvas to work on, I was just a shit of an employee. I, um, you know, if I don't have problems to solve, I create problems just so that I can solve them. Yeah. Um, very much, if you're familiar with the talent dynamics profiling system, I'm very much of the creator bent. So yep. coming up with new ideas and um, ways to improve things that we're already doing has been pretty important. Yep. Um, I've travelled quite a lot, lived in uh, a number of different countries, but um, for 14 years uh, lived in New Zealand. Um, and that's probably where I began the most uh, recent aspect or, or iteration of my company. Um, and um, I, I did, when I returned from New Zealand, I decided I'd try that employment thing again. Nah. Um, uh, worked at local government for a little while and then ran a, a big um, a community based health service for, um, I don't know, 18 months or something. But no, nah, just, I, I'm one of those people that's always been pretty clear that I've got a calling. Yeah, sure. And um, I guess I, I've, I'm probably feel pretty fortunate that I've had the opportunity to really pay attention to what that is um, and the education and the support and those sorts of things to, to kind of go after it. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was, well, this year it'll be um, 12 years since we set out in, in, um, in the current sort of format of the, of the businesses that I run. Well, the Elevation Company is the main one, um, yeah. but about 12 months, or no, it wouldn't be, the beginning of the current financial year, um, we set up a second company, which doesn't necessarily have an online presence at this point, um, but putting all of our children and family and school-based services into that called Elevating yeah, sure. Families. So right. yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a twist and a turn um, when I spend a lot of time talking to young people. Um, in addition to the the eight that uh, I'm parenting, um, but uh, I think that whenever I'm, I talk to I'm young sorry people, to interrupt there. Did you just say eight? Have you got eight children? Yes, yes, I, I have eight children. Wow, yes. super. Um, I I couldn't I couldn't have children, so they're all either step or foster children. Yeah, to great. Me. Um, I think my punishment for not being able to have them is that I now have eight, um, <laughs> two, two of whom appear on the wall here. Yeah, yeah, well, I can see the photos and thought that must be, you know, your daughters. You've got two daughters, great. And I've got yeah, two kids well, and I always them. wonder at three, how do people survive with three? But eight, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. No, well, these, these our, our youngest are um, 14 and 11, so they're um, now heading towards a relatively independent lives. Um, yeah. In fact, um, Charlie just starts uh, secondary school today, so it's a big day in our oh, world. Nice. Yeah, right. Um, but no, the older children are quite a bit older. So, in fact, my uh, eldest is 43. Right. Uh, and youngest is 11. So um, yeah. two, two families, effectively. But, um, yeah, look, I think I've, I've got four degrees, Mick, but I haven't learned anything, anything during the study of those like I've learned from having eight kids. Yeah, yeah that's right. You kind of the learning. Yeah, yeah that's probably a crucial... Parent. Yeah, that's right. That's probably a <laughs> crucial part of the story I did leave out. Um, but, yeah, no, the point I was making is when I'm, when I'm talking to kids about you know, a lot of we put a lot of pressure on kids to try and decide what's your career and what's mm. your path. And yeah, I just I just think that education is so important for young people, but I also think in some ways it's wasted on young people. Like leave them alone and let them live their childhoods, and then we'll worry about what they want to do with their yeah, lives. Yeah, sure. Love it. I love that stuff. I, I just to um, highlight it, it. Something that spoke out to me there in hearing your story was the. The retrial, the reattempt at getting another job, that you and trying to put a creator personality into, say, a government or council-driven or community-driven environment, it sounds like subconsciously you were setting yourself up a fail in the employment scene so that you could piss off back to doing your own thing. <laughs> yes, pretty much. I don't think I was consciously aware of that, but um, no, look, I think there was a change in relationship circumstances and I just thought, you know, for a little while, I'd just like to make it easy for myself. Yeah, sure. stepped out of a 10-year relationship and, and um, I thought, no, I'll, I'll just go back and I'll get a job and it'll just be relatively smooth and, you know, I was in quality improvement, so it was all about relationships and helping people discover different ways to do things. Nah. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that quality improvement and local government are actually contradictory terms. <laughs> sure. So, um, so tell us about the Elevation Company. What's it all about? Um, fundamentally, I guess Mick, it's um, it's a it's a company that really just allows me to live my my calling uh, to live the difference I was born to make, and that's probably the great joy of of being me is that every day I get to 
do things I love with people that I really admire and respect and love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that, um, you know, I, I hold a, a sort of a foundational belief that all any of us really want is to love and be loved and to be known, loved, seen, heard and got for who we really are. So the Elevation Company was really my um, attempt to uh, provide a platform not only for me to, to live the difference that I wanted to make, but to create opportunities for a whole bunch of other people whose um, hearts were called to, to do work that really is about helping people discover their own truth and um, live the, the journey that they, that they are called to live rather than kind of heading into a, a nine-to-five grind Mm. Um, nothing wrong with nine to five. And if you can find a nine to five job that feeds your soul, then power to you. Um, but all too often we, you know, knee kill ourselves doing the nine to five to earn the money and, um, never have time or energy to do anything with it, to live fulfilling lives. And I think the result is that we end up a bit numb, frankly. Um, and the world needs us to wake the hell up. So the Elevation Company was um, established with a, uh, in fact, back in the old days, uh, Mick, we used to run um, children's programs and education for um, uh, parents and couples. Um, And then I noticed this trend that couples that came along to our events seemed to fit comfortably into two categories either on the one hand they were people who had great relationships and were really committed to constantly working at improving those or on the other hand they were in a world of pain and we were the last put a box to be ticked to say nah stuff it I did everything I can it's not working and walk away Um, And it became increasingly difficult to sort of run an event in a way that catered for both groups. Um, And then I took off to Bali for a little bit of time out and caught up with a a mate of mine over there. And he said, well, you know, how's it going? And I said, look, um, frankly, I feel like I'm, I'm done with relationships. And he said, well, what do you want to do more of? And I said, hang out with kids. And he said, haven't you got enough already? (laughs) (laughs) So I said, uh, I probably have got enough, but um, I really think that, you know, that's, that's the key to a different world is educating our kids differently. So he said, well, why don't you do that? And I don't know. I had some pathetic excuses at the time. And I said, look, really, there's, there's no, there's no good reason not to. Um, and that was the birthplace of Green Super Camp, which is one of the programs. In fact, it's the signature program in Elevating Families. But um, it was really interesting because what I did is I, I sort of fundamentally had four focuses in the company back then. Um, what we called Elevating Children. So that was all our children's services, including Super Camp. Elevating People, which was a whole lot of sort of personal transformation Um, activity and events and mentoring and so forth. Um, Elevating business, which was um, our business consulting and uh, the the work that we did specifically with businesses and business people. Um, And then elevating humanity, which was all of the the stuff that we did where we contributed um, IP, opportunities, um, speaking gigs, money, whatever. And a lot of the work that we did there was done with B1G1. and then uh, over time, I sort of thought mm, that there feels like there's two, 
quite distinct focuses happening here. I'm focusing on children and I'm focusing on businesses. And I thought, I don't know how to do this because I really want to start this super camp thing here in Australia. Um, but I'm a business consultant, effectively. So what will we do? Anyway, then I thought, well, you're only limited by your own perception. And sure. my perception was I don't know how to do both. So I took a weekend and ran off to the beach in the middle of winter and had a bit of a reflect and wrote a bit and meditated a bit and so forth. And then thought, why can't you do both? I mean, businesses are just made up of people wanting to do the right thing by the world and, and the people that they love. Um, and kids will grow up to run businesses. So it kind of makes sense to do both. And it's really interesting that when we started Green Supercamp um, eight years ago, um, I can actually look back over that eight-year period and say probably 30% of our consulting clients have actually come from the work that we do with children. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting that when we shift our perception of what's possible, um, what actually happens is, is, you know, the universe rewards us. Yeah, well, you know, you, you're just building a community, right? It's, it's, Correct. And you're building it in the right way with that authentic approach to changing the world for the young people. Um, yeah. And the rest follows. I, I, had, I can relate, you know, I had a similar experience that I spoke to someone recently about um, when I was doing research on setting up these 17X speaking events that I'm doing and I spoke to the CEO of a very large startup, uh, startup conference that happens in Sydney every year and that person told me, don't do events, they're really shit and you're going to hate it and uh, you'll lose heaps of money and X, Y, Z. And yeah, it was kind of the same thing. It was it wasn't so much my limitation. It was someone else like trying to understand the market, yeah. and the perception was that events are really crap. And I went, well, hang on, I, I just see a list of things that you just tick off, and then lo and behold, you've got an event. So happy days. Mm. And yeah. uh, I love what you say there, just about you know why can't you do two things at once and split your focus and and be okay with that. So um, mm. and they obviously they feed in. You, you, you're making a difference across the world. Um, one of the things that you just mentioned there, just to come back to, is that you set up the Elevation Company to live the difference that you were born to make. Yeah. Um, what is the difference you were born to make? It's pretty hard to articulate, but yeah. in really simple terms, um, I think it's about creating connection. Yeah. So helping people connect to themselves and their own truth. And then connect to the people and, and the circumstances, the context, the community around them. But then connect to the greater good. We are all global citizens. I mean, we live in an age where, you know, you can get information about absolutely everything at yep. your fingertips. Um, and so to ignore the fact that we are global citizens now is you know, to kind of talk about I don't have hair on my head. It yeah, just sure. doesn't actually make any sense. Um, so I think that... For me, um, the difference that I was born to make is to make sure that at any point in time, what I'm doing uh, fundamentally creates that opportunity for people to really connect deeply um, at, that, at that fundamental human sort of mm. spiritual level. And, you know, there's lots of people kind of talking about the future and artificial intelligence and um, the sort of automation and... Um, uh, I guess, computerization 
yeah. of a lot of different aspects of life. And I have no clue what that world is going to look like. But one thing I know for sure is I don't give a damn how artificially intelligent your robot is. Um, they're never going to be able to create that, uh, that, that, that deep fundamental human connection. But I think that we do live in an age where um, the, the, the young people are more um, electronically connected than ever before and yet lonelier. You know, it's yeah, really sure. hard for kids even to just filter out what, it, what is rubbish in, in the amount of information coming at them in the day. Um, in my day, if you wanted to bully someone after you left school, you had to ask your mum and dad, could you borrow the phone? They'd give you a ripping because <laughs> of the cost of it. You had to ring the other person and hope yeah, that you could sure. get them. Usually their parents would say, no, they're not here. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like it just wasn't possible. Nowadays, kids are oftentimes, not in my family for sure, but oftentimes sleeping with the medium by which they can be bullied or kept awake or inspired or whatever right under their pillow. Yeah, sure. um, and that worries me. So, yeah, I think for me the, the, um, the return to the fundamental of what it means to be human, which is about connection and belonging, you know, we are wired for that and yet we live in a culture that often ignores that um, at great expense, I think, but ignores that in favour of money. Um, and what I've tended to find in my business career, Mick, is that any time I go chasing money, it's harder to pick up than, than Mercury. Yeah, sure. Um, but any time I go chasing impact and connection and actually genuinely being wanting to, to sort of focus on it and driven by a desire to serve people and make a greater contribution to the world, um, the money comes. We always have enough to do the things that we, that we want to do. Yeah, look, I think... Um, and I think there's a good lesson there. That's, um, that's beautifully articulated. I think you've, you know, you've got that out really well. <laughs> as far as putting it into words, what the difference you're going to make is, it's, thanks for sharing that. That's, and there's some powerful... Like I'm taking notes here. There's, as a parent, even, there's some really powerful things there to keep an eye on around that mm. connection and that, that inauthentic connection that the, the younger generation mm. have at the moment. Um, speaking it's, of it's kids... Interesting. Oh, no, go on. Well, uh, you're right. You can, it's interesting. What were you going oh, to say? I was just going to say it's interesting because a couple of years ago, um, uh, Cambridge University did a study on um, there, there's this sort of seemingly um, poorly timed uh, impact happening in the world at the moment. I think we've got, particularly in the Western world, we've got parents who are time poor in ways that they've never been time poor before because the drive to get more, have more, earn more is so, so strong. Very rarely can a family survive on a one um, parent income. Mm. Um, but at the same time, we have kids who are electronically connected um, and consuming electronic stimulation at a hell of a rate. Um, and those two just don't they don't work together. Yeah, sure. So um, I think that one of the things that I'm kind of fairly driven to, to focus on is how we help people return to the centre of those deep human connections um, and everything that we do in the company. So whether we're consulting to Macquarie Bank, for goodness sake, um, I'm still out there talking about love and I make it very clear if you're not prepared to talk about vulnerability and courage and love and the importance of being compl completely transparent about the emotional journey people go on 
through the course of their daily lives, um, then you're missing the greatest element of leadership, really. Um, so if you don't want me coming in here agitating about that, go and get another consulting firm that will keep it all nice and tidy and only talk about the, the fundamental nuts and bolts. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't bring that, that nuts and bolts shit near me because, yeah, sure. uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be challenging it. Mm. That's awesome. I love it. Um, so looking at, uh, at the connection that you are creating with, with uh, particularly kids, um, I was fascinated about to learn more about the, uh, the green super camp that you run. Um, as I said it, before we got started here, we were having a chat and um, I've spent, I think it was four years in the rotary system up here on the Gold Coast through my dad who's connected with rotary as a, as a leader and presenter at their ripen camp, so 14 to 16 year olds. And one of the biggest things I got from that was the sheer transition that these kids could get in just a three-day period around their self-confidence, mm. self-esteem, leadership, connection to other kids. Um, 100 kids that don't know each other turning up into a space that all of a sudden become, you know, best mates over the course of a few days. So my experience with that, I just saw what you're doing with Green Supercamp and, and felt instant alignment with, I guess, the purpose and values of what you're, what you're doing there. So can you tell us what the Supercamp's all about and how it works? Yeah, sure. So um, Green Supercamp Australia is the Australian version of a program that was actually developed in the States about 30, nearly 39 years ago um, by the Quantum Learning Network, um, Bobby DePorter and um, Joe Chapin created the program and um, so when I discovered it, when I decided that yes, I did want to do something with children, I thought, well, I can either arrogantly go ahead and create my own thing just because I think I'm super special um, or I can have a look at what else is available in the world um, and uh, not waste time reinventing just a, a different variation of the wheel. Sure. So um, I made contact with the people at um, the Quantum Learning Network and said, look, this is who I am and this is what I'd love to do. Um, they were super enthusiastic, which was great. Um, what I didn't know then, and I'm kind of glad uh, that I didn't, was that they'd been trying to come to Australia for um, 18 years. Oh, wow. And they'd had 12 different partners in that time. <laughs> so it was probably good that I didn't know that or I might have um, doubted myself and, and our team's ability to, to make it happen. Um, but so what happens was we, we brought the program here to Australia um, and adapted it to the Australian conditions. Um, and the, the program is fundamentally built on four pillars. Um, personal leadership, um, giving, giving kids opportunities to really experience deeply um, the uniqueness of who they are, um, the, the, the importance of their character traits and their, their strength of character and, and build those things over the course of the program. Um, happy kids do better at school. And kids who do better at school are happier kids. Yes. Um, so um, in simple terms, what we wanted to do is take the, the uh, American model, which is built on those two pillars, is um, personal leadership and academic acceleration. But then I looked and went, you know, we, we live in a very big and very dry country and we're not always uh, as respectful of the environment as we could be. As a kid, I was, you know, as I said, grew up on the farm and, and was fundamentally aware that every piece of plastic that I used had nowhere to go, didn't return to the earth. Um, and in fact, I can distinctly remember my mum back in the days when we had um, paper shopping bags talking with us kids about um, the importance of um, 
you know, minimising the amount of paper we use but not using plastics and not using extra wrapping. And we yeah. only had rain tanks, rainwater tanks. So if you ran out of water, you ran out of water. Like mm. it, it was that simple. So I think it gave us a completely different paradigm of thinking around the sustainability of the earth. And obviously farming is all about sustainability. Sure. You know, yeah. if you don't sustain the pastures, then you don't sustain the animals and um, the rice and whatever else that we were like growing. the original circular economy out there, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you, if you ran out of milk... You were 30K from town and most of the time mum only went shopping every two weeks. So you ran out of milk, you ran out of milk. Um, Well, we didn't actually because we always had cows and I was raised on (laughs) milking the cows. So, But I think, yeah, that's right. So I think my, my, my first entrepreneurial endeavour actually was to get my dad to let me have a second cow in the dairy so that I could milk uh, her each morning and raise two pigs. Yes. Um, awesome. Yeah, and yeah. So the and then I um, the the deal was that the family got to eat one, which was a bit tough because <laughs> don't name um, the So that was the Chris, Yeah, that was the Christmas pig, and the other one we would sell, and um, I used the money to buy two more. And if I sold them fat and negotiated well, then I got to keep the profit. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that, that's where that's the, awesome. the elevation company had its awesome beginnings. Yeah, there's a bridge um, right there. Cool. That's right, right there, right there. But I think that um, my sense was that we we our kids still are fundamentally growing up in an incredibly lucky country. Yeah. Um, so we added two additional pillars to the super camp sort of base. So we've got our personal leadership, academic acceleration environmental awareness which is not just about the the natural environment but their social environment and really being mindful of are they hanging out with kids who help them to know themselves and love themselves and believe in themselves and be their best um or that are they changing who they think who they are because they think it'll help them fit in with their peer group um and then the fourth one uh is social contribution and we do some super awesome things at camp to um, help the kids understand the, the, the power and the importance of contribution, but also help them to understand how little it takes to make a significant contribution. And obviously um, our partnership with um, B1G1 is a, is a great platform to talk with kids about yeah. um, and uh, gives us a great opportunity to talk about the sustainable development goals and, and make sure that we're topping the kids up with understanding about how what they do in, in their daily lives impacts those goals. Um, but what else they can do because I think kids do genuinely have a, a, a desire to make a difference and make a greater contribution, um, but it can often feel a bit daunting for them to know where do I start and what do I do. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so we run two programs, um, both built on those four four pillars. Um, at the end of the first term of school, so Easter holidays, we run a, uh, no, a nine-day program for Um, senior kids, so 14 to uh, 18-year-olds. And at the end of third term in the September holidays, uh, we run a seven-day program for 10 to 14-year-olds. And like you say, it's just my my two favourite days of the year, uh, graduation day of each of those programs and just watching the difference in those kids and the way that they've opened themselves, mind, heart and soul um, 
to a different understanding of who they are, but also to the, the connections that they build with the other kids they shared that experience with. And as you said, it's, it's, um, it's, it's incredibly humbling to see the way in which they come together and create that really tight sense of family. Um, and the fundamental shift that that makes in their perception of themselves. We did um, a whole bunch of longitudinal research at the six-month and 12-month mark after the programs for the first four years, I think it was. And um, I was delightedly uh, shocked (laughs) to discover how many of the strategies the kids were still using. But importantly, to see what else they'd done with what they learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it seemed to have created this incredible wave of or ripple of um, generosity. Um, you know, I can think of one example at a, at a um, secondary school in um, regional Victoria in Bendigo. Um, there were four children come from that school. Uh, and so they went back and ran um, sort of voluntary lunchtime sessions uh, and taught another 180 kids at their school the strategies from their perspective of what they'd learned yeah. at camp. Yeah, you know, just, yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. Legacy um, at work, right? That's so great. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we talk with the kids about the fact that the more the people around you know this stuff, the better it is for you too. We call them yeah. communities of care. You know, build a community of care just the same as we do in business. That's what business networks and professional networks and B1G1 and um, platforms like that are are really about is the opportunity that we have to come together and work in partnership and in collaboration to make a bigger impact in the world, Um, which is good for us as well as good for the people we share that, that journey with. I think, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast or that, that, um, pick it up, uh, business owners, right? So um, that's generally mm-hmm. where the 17X yep. conversation is aimed at at the SME market mm-hmm. um, with our events and who comes along and listens to these podcasts. I think what what do you think is key a key takeaway that a business owner can take from those transitions and understandings of how important contribution is that and the lessons that these kids are picking up? Where's the crossover that we can take into business and how does mm-hmm. it relate? Um, it's at every touch point is the short answer. (laughs) Um, I think that, um, you know, often we go into business because we have an idea of something that we want to do or make or offer or contribute. Mm -hmm. Um, and then something happens in the, in the mechanics of, um, the stresses and strains of, of establishing a business and growing a business and dealing with staff and dealing with suppliers and all of those sorts of things. And I think in the SME field in particular, it's easy to kind of get swallowed into those demands and, you know, all of the things that you thought you were getting to business for, to give you more time with your family and to to give you freedom and to give you the opportunity to play golf on a Wednesday afternoon and to give you, you know, seemingly endless piles of cash, suddenly the life you're living doesn't in any way resemble that. You kind of take your your credit card in one hand, your bollocks in the other, and you jump and hope like hell it works out. (laughs) Um, And uh, and I think that, um, you know, somewhere along the line, the stresses and strains of of, of running small business pulls us away from that that big why, as we call it, the the purpose, the reason you got into this thing in the first instance. Um, and that's why I talk about, you know, that the great gift for me is the fact that every day I get to live the difference I was born to make. Mm-hmm. But um, 
there are days when I'd happily give it away for 20 bucks, you know, and there are, there are days when I, I love the work, I love the people, I love the, the challenge and the dynamic of working with businesses, be they large or be they small, um, but I just am so sick of the travel. You know, when you get on a, a Qantas flight and they go, oh, hi, Heather, welcome back. And you're like, no, no. <laughs> no this is one place I don't, this is one place I don't want to be kids. known by name. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I think that, um, and we've actually changed the service model this year so that some of those um, business leaders are actually going to come to me so I don't have to travel quite so nice. much. Um, but I think there is, there is a crossover in terms of um, taking the time and making the time to really check and see how are we making our contribution and importantly, Mick, are we, make, are we contributing to ourselves first? You know, all too often in small business land in particular, um, we contribute to ourselves last. We want to make the, the business grow. So, you know, we'll pay the secretary or the, the PA or we'll pay the providers or we'll pay the, the people who are upstream and downstream, but we won't pay ourselves or we'll pay ourselves a very modest wage. Mm -hmm. um, somebody famous, can't remember, said the best way to help the poor is not be one of them. Mm -hmm. And um, all too often small business owners um, don't, don't wrangle with what needs to be uh, tackled in order to be able to put themselves first. Um, being selfish is not a great way to live, but being responsible for yourself is a great way to live and sure. Uh, making sure that you make the time and the, the space to have that really true and, and um, uh, deep connection with yourself, I think is incredibly important. Mm. I know that for me, you know, the, the times that my business has just gone gangbusters has always related directly to a period of time where I've sat back and thought, who do I need to be to elevate this company in a completely different way and instead of reaching 100,000 people a year, reach 500,000 people a year? You know, it's, it's always been about who do I need to be first? Who do I need to be as a person? Who do I need to be as a leader? How do I lead from behind? But equally, how do I go out the front and earn the right to yeah, lead sure. from behind? Um, Love it. And facilitate that change, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. I think it'd be pretty cool to take a whole bunch of um, business leaders and put them through the Super Camp program. Hey, there's an idea. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sign me up. Um, <laughs> So as, as a, you know, we are an SDG-focused uh, podcast here. So um, as a purpose-driven, you know, business operator, what advice would you give to people that are looking at these global goals and trying to work out how to enter the game, how to, how to engage with them and bring them into, into their business or even their home? Um, but they're not quite sure where to start. You know, what, what advice yeah. would you give there? I, I, Certainly finding your purpose and your why and engaging with yourself or you just went across is, is, is certainly going to be part of that. But, um, yeah, what have you got there? Yeah, it's a great question, Mick. I think there's, there's kind of two elements to how I'll respond to that. The first is we will always support things. In fact, it was interesting because um, I give a director's report um, to the team um, each... Um, month at our at our collective team meetings with all the staff of both companies um 
And I was just um, dropping the notes into our agenda for the next um, meeting next week and thinking about this sort of notion of impact because we report on the ways in which we make uh, impact in the world. Um, but I was really thinking about um, the the importance of values and I actually went on to the B1G1 site um, to just have a look at which of the goals we as a community of small business owners and change makers um, actually focus on. And I thought, you know, just by looking at the 17 goals and then the reported number of impacts under each goal, you can see a lot um, about what the people that are members of the B1G1 community value. Like by far the greatest contribution has been made in the, in the area of education, like sustainable um, development goal number four. Yeah. Um, and it's probably not surprising because most of us know that teaching young people to live their lives and, and um, take governance of the, the world and the earth uh, differently to the way we have is, is crucial. Um, but, um, yeah, I also think that uh, we need to start with our own values. And, in fact, a lot of the work we do in the consulting field um, is uh, values-based leadership development. So we actually teach people how to understand their values. And I think one of the, um, one of the mistakes we sometimes make is that, you know, if, if the research tells us that if I said to you, Mick, so tell me what you think your highest values are, um, you would tell me one of three things. One, what your parents taught you. Or two, what you think I want to hear depending on the nature of our relationship and its importance. Sure. Um, or three, what your dominant social context dictates you should say. So you're a man with um, a partner and children, so you should say um, family. Uh, and, right. in fact, I had exactly that experience at one of the big four banks um, 12, just shy of 12 months ago when I was doing some executive coaching with one of their senior people and I said to him, so what do you think your highest values are? And he said, oh, that's a good question. I uh, haven't really thought about it much. And I thought, well, there's your first concern. Um, and he sort of sat back in his chair and thought about it for a minute and he said, well, um, I guess it's family, Heather. And I said, actually, let's change his name. Let's call him Tom. And I said, um, yeah, well, Tom, idea. here's the thing. A minute ago you told me that you travel sort of two and a half to three and a half weeks each month. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do a lot of travel. I said, well, if family is your highest value, you're a man in a world of pain. Sure. And if you're not a man in a world of pain, then you're bullshitting me. And I don't mind that you're doing that to me, but I mind a lot that you're doing it to you because when you lay down at the end of the day, you are your yardstick of success. So helping people understand the importance of actually exploring their life so that they can see the ways in which their life speaks to them about what their values are. Um, in my, my highest values are growth, learning and education, contribution, um, adventure, and everything that I do as a person in my partnership with my children, um, in the, the community engagement that I have with the companies that I run, um, with the speaking gigs that I do, how, which of those I choose to say yes to and which I say no to, um, all of that is informed by what lines, aligns me most closely with my highest values. Sure. Um, the research also tells us that our top five 
get 86% of our time, energy, focus, effort, money. So basically, if it's outside your top five, it's not getting any oxygen anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and of that five, 82% goes on your top three. So if everybody knew their top three values and made choices in alignment with those values, the, the ease, the flow, the grace, the elegance would naturally return. And in my experience, when I do that and I facilitate a process where the people around me can do that as well, um, the universe conspires to help us make things happen. You know, 12 months ago, I, I had an idea. I, I just I was meditating and I had this idea about what if we got together a whole bunch of incredibly successful business people and took them on a journey to really understand how they could make a far greater impact in the world. Um, but to do that in a small group environment where the possibility of creating a sort of a magical synergy means that the results achieved by that group is far greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. And to, to actually build uh, a, a community of people who were committed to supporting one another to make a far greater impact in the world. And um, that's what we've done. And here we are 12 months later about to run the first of our seven-month um, Ripple Maker programs. Um, that didn't happen because I sat around going, oh, that's a bit scary. I don't know whether I want to do it. Sure. And, you know, it happened because there was alignment in the idea. I always made sure that I stopped and stepped back and went, is this still feeling like it's got flow? Am I gathering the right people around me to, to support me to develop it? Um, and so forth. And what we've ended up with is just an extraordinary group of people who absolutely cannot wait to get on that journey. Um, but equally, who have a level of... Um, uh, what would you call it, humility. They're all, you know, it's really interesting. These are leaders, absolute leaders in their field. Um, but they're all saying things like, oh, I'm just not sure whether I'm going to be able to, um, you know, keep up with the group or, you know, you're bringing together all these amazing people. I hope I can manage to, you know, participate yeah. effectively. How great is that? You know, when you get these, uh, I've had a similar experience with, with the me and the network and the, the amazing connections I've made last year through the 17X events, that mm. the perception, you know, the, the first perception is they're highly successful people. It's am I, you know, am I, am I right to be in the same room as these people? But, but the, the beauty of it is that there's this complete lack of ego and yes. the ego has just been dropped years ago, which has probably led to their success almost definitely. Yes. And... This, yeah, the, I think you nailed it on the head. The, the idea of humility within the personality and humility in the way that, that take this approach to leadership and collaboration and connection. Um, it's really, I, I, I love it. I think that when the, my favorite kind of saying last year was when the I becomes a we, what's powerful is, is amazing. You know, what happens from there is amazing. So mm. hearing, hearing the success of your Ripple crew, I think, um, in seven months' time, you'll be like the uh, the new elders, mate. You got the new, the, the not so elders, I should say, but you know yeah, the new right. the, the global leaders making making change, you know, happen. So not just talking about it, which is cool. Look, mate, we're, we're pretty much out of time. Um, I I've taken a, a huge amount of notes just listening to you talk, and it's fantastic and insightful. Um, 
interview just to hear what you're up to. I'd, I'd, I'd love to keep an eye on what you're doing with the, the super camp. I'm pretty sure I'll send my kids there when they're old enough. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of getting these kids out in nature and, and giving them a platform where they can learn and be inspired from people that aren't their parents and aren't their teachers. Yes. And looking yep. at your collateral on your website, there's obviously you get some young adults in there to help, you know, make it happen, which I think is great. Mm. And, and letting these kids learn on their own with, with some guidance. I love it. I absolutely mm. love what you're doing. Um, my last question for you is just, look, if people want to connect with you and, and get involved, uh, get you out to speak or book in for their kids for the camp or themselves even, uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Oh, look, the, the simplest way is just to either give us a, a call at the office, which is um, the, the phone number there is 03. 9016 9575 um, or shoot us an email and the easiest uh, email address to remember is just info, I-N-F-O, at heatheryelland.com. Um, Great. Well, I'll put, I'll put both of those contacts and links to your websites in the notes with this podcast. So anyone listening that wants to get in touch, just um, scroll down into the, to, uh, the info section on the, the podcast there and you'll see all the links. But uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great conversation and um, I look forward to checking in with you maybe in 12 months' time to see how everything else is happening. Super. Good on you, Mick. I very much appreciate your time. And thanks for what you do too. I really, I really love the 17X concept and I think probably one of the things that I love most about, about you and the work that you're doing, which you've just touched on, is that absolute um, what you see is what you get. There's, there's no pretense. There's no postulating. It's just, you know, the world, the world really needs everybody to wake up to the truth of who they are, warts and all. Um, so let's just get on with doing that and um, start working together to create a, a different world and a better world. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Um, well awesome. said. I think we'll just leave it there. Thanks so much. Good on you, Mick. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast. Um, We have our 17X speaking events kicking off again in March for our 2020 tour, hitting eight capital cities this time in Australia, as well as ducking over the pond to Auckland. Um, You can keep up to date with when the event is coming to your town through our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word. Um, The speakers that we have lined up so far for our events are amazing. So we'll be having heaps of fun and I hope to see you there. Uh, For now with the podcast, don't forget to subscribe whether you are listening so that you stay up to date with our future episodes. Um, And I'd love it if you gave us a review, five stars, one stars, it's all good as long as it's real. Um, And be sure to share share this with your friends. There are plenty of people out there in business that need to hear this and understand how they can use the global goals to make a meaningful impact in the world simply by running a business that is driven with purpose and a definition of running a business for good. Thanks again, I'll speak to you soon.